This is the Realm of Agape Christian Church. Father, we seek your face and we seek your counsel. The power of the Holy Spirit reveal truth. Reveal it until there's no excuse or justification that we didn't know. Make it known, Lord. Be a personal God that reveals the truth even beyond this meeting. May the word follow, the truth of the word follow us and cause us to have a renewal of mind, a, an awakening of whatever has gone dormant in our walk of faith. Bless us to be ever fervent, energetic, and ever encompassing about what the will of the Lord is and be fruitful. Jesus wants us to have much fruit, to be lively stones, productive in the call. Hallelujah, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Bless us. We know you're able, God, in Jesus' matchless name. We thank you, hallelujah. We thank you, hallelujah. Thank God, hallelujah. In the matchless name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I thank God for the Lawful Works of Grace series. And we're yet here forging forward in faith in this series because there is a hyper grace following. And we don't want to teach uh, from a faulty foundation as such. But there should be the heavenly balance that God intended. Yes, he's a loving God, but we have to look at the whole personality of God. He's a righteous judge. Amen. And we need righteous judgment to uh, push us, compel us forth, and cause us now to find out of all that darkness, the only light that's brightly shining for salvation is Jesus. It should point us to Jesus because God sent his son, only begotten son, that whosoever will believe on him, not just have some kind of a, an acceptance of the concept of Jesus. You need a living, vital relationship with the true and living God. And he has to become your savior and Lord, Lord of your life, the one that transforms you, renews you, Gives you the new heavenly mind. Causes you to walk up bright and devote unto the calling of his word. We thank God for today. We're in the Old Testament, the book of Amos, starting there. We'll be throughout the Bible. But in Amos chapter 8, there's a few verses, 11 through 14. I'll read from the New Language Translation to your hearing where it reads, the time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord but they will not find it. 
beautiful girls and strong young men will grow faint in that day, thirsting for the Lord's word. And those who swear by the shameful idols of Samaria, who take oaths in the name of the God of Dan and make vows in the name of the God of Beersheba, they will all fall down, never to rise again. There are false ideas out there. It's nothing new. As you see in the ancient day, there were false ideas that God was teaching against by his spirit. And God is yet teaching by his spirit today against false ideas about him. False ideas about God will only result in producing faithlessness. And that faithlessness has a tertiary effect. It will cause people uh, to be driven to the dark, false safety of not having God at all. Being agnostic and being one who is a proponent of atheism. We must see the holy God of all creation for who he completely really is. Yes, he's an untamed, seemingly unapproachable holy lion who is yet full of compassion as the welcoming lamb without spot or blemish. We have to look at his whole person. The prophet Amos helps us to maintain a line of holy separation, a line of demarcation where God is God and there is none like him. We cannot stand in his holy presence and survive without his protective covering as found in his son, Jesus, the Savior. Let's talk about real worship produces real change. Real worship produces real change. What is God telling us in the book of Amos? You can hear God in chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, saying, I comfort only the broken. I stand against the proud. The unrepented, I will destroy. Why? Because they're walking in the line of danger. And that destructive force is going against sin. And if they're walking in sin, what's going to happen to them? They will be destroyed. So he says, the unrepentant, I will destroy. The plumb line is dropped. There's a demarcation line. But some people like to blur the line. Ah, there's a gray area, they like to say. Ah, the Bible is going against its own self. And they find the Bible to be uh, a book of errors. But why do they worship God still? There are churches that are taking parts of the Bible out, which tells me they're saying the Bible has what? Errors. There are churches that add to the Bible. So what does that say? The Bible has errors. But God is strongly yet speaking as he was speaking from Amos verses eight, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Your crookedness is exposed. 
That's why they want to blur the lines because crookedness is exposed when the line of demarcation for holiness is there. God is saying you and everyone else are ripe for judgment. So he tells his prophets to tell everybody in the land, you and everyone else are ripe for judgment. There will be none that can escape it. We cannot think we are in an ivory tower because we feel we know of God. We have not arrived. We on this earth cannot approach God in his complete full revelation. We will burn up, my God. We will have to change in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and be given uh, over to immortality, and we will be given a, uh, rendered a spiritual body. We can only go through that uh, eternal metamorphosis, if you will, uh, through Christ Jesus. He's the door for that change. He's the change agent sent from heaven, enabling us to go through that necessary change. There's a necessity of bowing down before him as Lord. Is he over your whole mind? Is he guiding you and, and teaching you about your passions from inside out? Is he changing you from the inside out? Or are you legalistically and self-willed uh, in your pursuit and going forth and fashioning your own way and calling it God's way? You cannot fashion your own way and label it as God's way. We have to find out who God really is. He's saying who he is in the word, but we like to take these parts out or add other parts so that we fashion our idolatry uh, in the word of God. We're bringing idols into the so-called house of God. But God is telling us through Amos, he's reminding us, when you remain blind in your guilt, uh, you seek me if you seek me at all for your own purpose and you call it church. But your gatherings are a club of self-seekers. I despise your religious gatherings. I cannot stand your assemblies, as we said in Amos 5.21. You are not meeting me. You are not even meeting yourselves, though the excitement and camaraderie you generate delude you into thinking you are. The famine of truth that I send will reveal your emptiness. How starved and cadaverous you really are. You are nourishing yourselves with spiritual cotton candy, thinking it is food. But who wants to hear this real truth about God's heart towards sin? Church has uh, been made into a playground with a mood food cafe, if you will. It's now an FTM. You heard of ATM, but church is now an FTM. A fortune-telling machine. The prophecy that God revealed to Amos is about a famine of the eternal and true holy word of God. The theological relativism of our postmodern society and so many of its ecclesiastical subcultures is the unfortunate evidence of that predicted spiritual malady that Amos talked about through the Holy Ghost. Postmodern Christianity denies truth today, at least truth that is unknowable with certainty. It recognizes no plumb line. It blurs the line. Uh, it gets rid of the plumb line that reflects God's character. Therefore, it conceals relational sin. 
We are not in right relationship with God. We want to conceal that relational sin. Popular Christianity leaves people satisfied with surface morality designed to secure God's favor and thus diminishes the felt need for salvation grace. There are a lot of graces, but the salvation grace part we're dealing with right now, people want to redefine it the way they would have it. But it should be how God should say it is. Amen. He's the Savior. Are we going to tell him how to save? We don't tell the Coast Guard, hold up, wait a minute, let's put our own thing in it. No, let the Coast Guard do what the Coast Guard came to do. Why don't we let God do what God came to do? Amen. You can't tell McDonald's how to make the Big Mac. They said it's two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. So you're going to go there and try to reconstruct their recipe? We don't go to McDonald's and say, hold up. No, we, we take it as is. We let McDonald's do what it came to do, to fatten us up and kill it. Well, that's another message. We want to tell God what to do now. We want to repurpose God, redefine God, make him palatable according to the desires of our carnal appetites. But Amos is saying something different through the Holy Ghost. Amos has been canonized to remind us of the truth about God's holy heart towards these sins. And in Amos 4.2, I swear by my holiness, God says, like a fierce lion, I oppose your desire for every good thing you value above me. And I swear by all that I am, in Amos 6, 8, like a father who disciplines his child because he cannot bear to lose him, I will pay whatever price I must to bring you home. But people today have trouble accepting the truth about God because the world wants a powerless God that will allow them to be whatever they want to be, regardless of the deceived path they are taking. Degeneration and perversion become the order of the day when the absolutes of God's creative purpose are rejected. But God's infallible word will not be tarnished by our moral fallacies. If you want to hear what I am saying and not what you assume I'm saying, you will hear this, says God in Amos. Worship that leaves unchanged the way you relate to me and to others is false worship. I will not cooperate with any pursuit of spiritual maturity that leaves unrecognized and undisturbed your hidden energy of self-protection and self-enhancement. Read Amos and tremble, says God through his spirit. You are conscious only of your unsatisfied desires in the presence of my seeming indifference. Like worshipers dancing around Baal's altar on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18.26, you sing and shout in your churches, thinking you will persuade me to favor you with the blessings you want. Read Amos and tremble. But with the consciousness of your relational sin in the presence of my relational purity, how I relate is the plumb line, the standard by which you will be judged. I will destroy every society, including what you call the church that organizes itself around the goal of self-pleasing. 
I will build my kingdom, a community of broken, joyful people centered in my glory who will eternally rejoice in perfect fellowship with me. That's the real church. We cannot become confused about God. Thinking of him as a senseless, apathetic tyrant who does not have our basic welfare in mind, health, life, strength, and a functional family, uh, with the ability to lovingly support each other and society. It's not always what we want that is wrong. It's mostly what we want the most. When we want our life to go well, more than we want to know and please God, we relate to him and to others in ways that violate his nature. And that is sin. That's relational sin. We're not in a right relationship with him. Relational sin destroys relationships and eliminates the source of identity, eliminates the source of joy. Jesus should be the center of your joy. And when you come together in the midst, there should not be people being thrown under the bus and backstabbed, my God, talked about and being lied upon with seeds of discord. God said, I hate such things. Relational sin treats people as things to be used for personal advantage. That was the sin of Damascus. Uh, and it values financial gain for oneself over the well-being of others. That was the sin of Gaza. It regards one's word as breakable when self-interest is served. That was the sin of Tyre. It sees nothing wrong with nourishing hatred against people who hurt you deeply. That was the sin of Edom. It justifies harming others to increase personal satisfaction. That was the sin of Ammon. It presumes vengeance is a legitimate personal right. That was the sin of Moab. It disregards the absolutes God reveals as the standard for all relating. That was the sin of Judah. It pursues justification and satisfaction by following a plan for life that is self-serving and not God-glorifying. That, along with all the others, was the sin of Israel. Sin will make you spiritually blind. You won't even see yourself. Without deep consciousness of relational sin, people then felt and people now feel falsely complacent in God's presence, unaware, and therefore untroubled by how far short their style of relating falls below God's standard. Through Amos, God told his people to stop worshiping him at Bethel, Beersheba, and Gilgal. It wasn't worship at all. He met Jacob at Bethel. In Genesis 28, and at a second meeting, he changed his name from Jacob, one who takes for himself, to Israel, one who struggles with God. God's people assume they would meet him at Bethel uh, without any thought of being changed by him at Bethel. They saw nothing in the way they were relating that desperately needed changing. 
At Beersheba, God pledged that he would be with Abraham in Genesis 21, and Isaac, Genesis 26, and Jacob, Genesis 46. In each case, his companionship was promised in order to achieve his purposes. But his people in the days of Amos assumed his companionship was guaranteed even as they pursued their own self-serving purposes. Do we take God for granted today, people? And Gilgal in the ancient day was the site where God's people first camped in the promised land and ate its food after 40 years of manna. It was there that every male was circumcised uh, to symbolize God's power to preserve those he loves without the comforts of Egypt anymore, Joshua 5. But his people whom he was addressing through Amos were like so many people today who are called followers of Jesus. They believed in the day, back in that day. Life with God meant a pleasant life of blessings uh, in the world rather than the good life of relating like his son did when he lived in this world uh, without even a place to rest his head. We forgot who Jesus was and is. We're looking for the goodies. Jesus didn't come looking for goodies. My God. He didn't come to get rich. The devil tried to make him bend his knee for that, but Jesus did not. Hallelujah. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He's not saying everybody coming to him will be rich. He's saying you're going to have spiritual abundance. Amen. Eternal life. Because why this earth is going to pass away. Why would he let you inherit something that's going to pass away? Hallelujah. Don't let the devil trick you. See, their religion never exposed and judged their relational sin. That's why they changed their religion. What does it say in John 3? People don't come to the light lest they be what? Reproved. They want to hang on to their sinful comfort zone. That's why God told them, and he's telling us, to stop practicing detestably complacent religion at Bethel, Beersheba, and Gilgal. These places yet exist today in our hearts and minds and souls. Amen. And uh, in the final five verses, God announced his plan to restore. See, God had to tell the truth first. Now bring a word for what? Restoration. He announced his plan to restore true worship and with it, the satisfaction of every human desire. Without his son, God could promise no such thing. With Jesus, he can promise nothing less. Amen? God's spirit is working to lead the world in these last days of perilous times to search for eternal truth and eternal grace in who? His eternal son, Jesus Christ. He's coming soon. Hallelujah. We see the signs of the times all around us. He's coming soon. My God, do you hear wars and rumors of wars? He's coming soon. Do you hear about famines and sicknesses and pestilences? He's coming soon. Do you hear about modern day martyrs, people being persecuted for being lovers of Jesus? He's coming soon. 
Do you see the faith of so many waxing cold? He's coming soon. Do you see people apostates? He's coming soon. Not going to be ready. Not the way we're going. We're not going to be ready. We're going in our own merry way. Waking up to play instead of to pray. Help us, Jesus. In the meantime, before he comes, we must realize that God has given us the grace to lead a holy life in this present world of sin. We can live a holy life. And that's required in having a right relationship with God. Be holy for what I am holy. The following scripture reference is God-given proof that we can be delivered from our mind and heart, amen, that wants to sin against his holy will to become authoritative defenders. Isn't God's word authoritative? That means it's proven to be true. We can be proven to be true and defend holy faith instead of causing folks to Slip on sloppy agape. We can help them stand on the firm foundation of Christ. Hallelujah. We got to do it. They got to see the hope in us. And they too can stand firm on the foundation of Jesus. We have to become authoritative defenders of his grace. And then that will open up a way to live a life of holy faith. It says it in Titus 2, 11 through 15. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We got to do it. We want orgasms more than we want to, to have the organism of the church. My God, God is calling for us to cleanse our way. Put away our sex toys and pick up our Bibles in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Lift your hand away from your groin and lift it up to the heavens. God is trying to sober us up. Sober us financially. Sober us economically. Sober us domestically in society. Sober us up sensually. Hallelujah. Sober us up spiritually. We need Jesus. Hallelujah, they say sex sells. But this world is on a collision course to hell. You better get in the ark of safety. His name is Jesus. But you gotta do it before it's too late. Hallelujah. It's appointed unto us all, God. But after that, we're gonna stand before God in judgment. Will you be ready to meet the Lord? If I go right now, I'm ready because I have given my heart over to Jesus and I am, amen, committed to him. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. I'm still in Titus. 
He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary. So don't let anyone disregard what you say. Hallelujah. Titus has spoken. Will we allow the Holy Ghost to use us for the good of this earth? Will we allow Jesus to use us? God is calling for revival all over the world. He's starting with me. And he's starting with you. Lord, send the revival and let it what begin in me. When all is said and done, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must allow him to work on us to be without spot or wrinkle. He knows our hearts. And when he judges our attitudes and our actions and our innermost, you know, uh, heartfelt pursuits that we are Going after, he's going to look at everything. There's not going to be anything that will escape his eye. Will we be found lacking the needed qualities to be his lights in a dark world? Will the secular world be able to taste the difference and learn about God? It should be our prayer that we never develop a Romans 10.21 kind of attitude. Romans 10, 21 says, but regarding Israel, God said, quote, all day long, I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. Real worship produces real change. Are you ready to really worship? Are you ready to really adore him? My God, I'm only able to love Lisa on, in an earthly way, love with the highest love, but I can't adore her. Amen? Mm -hmm. That level goes to who? God. To God. I bend my knee to him. Yes. Both my knees. And then I lay, amen, prostrate all before him. But I bent one knee. He allowed me to bend one knee to Lisa. All in Freeport Park over there. I remember because ducks were all around here. I had to find a clean spot. And then I bent my knee and showed her that, that little ring. It meant the world to me because that was that set a brother back. Even though it was microscopic, it still set a brother back. I, mean, I make more than that now. She loved me because I didn't hardly have anything then. We're trying to have a little something, something, but you know how bills can do you. And this island can do you. You need two folk working, my God. But I thank God that uh, Lisa loves God more than she loves me. I needed somebody like that. Amen. We don't love each other more than we love God. God is the highest. Then right after that, each other. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. We have to know our priorities, how God should align them. You know, how he, we, we should let God align them. And then we'll be in right relationship with him. Let's think about that because the Lord's spirit, I know, has been talking to you about certain specific things in your life. You know that after you do them, there's a guilt feeling. 
Because the Holy Ghost comes to convict you. He wants you to be driven far away from that. He wants you separated from that thing. We got to divorce our evil habits. Divorce our evil thoughts. Sometimes we grow up thinking an evil way and don't even know it's evil. We think it's good because the family did it. But some of that stuff is a generational curse and we need to know the difference. Let God's demarcation line come to show you the difference. And when it comes, be teachable, be coachable, be one who receives the word of God and let him do what he came to do. Change you for the better. Don't give God another recipe. Let him change you. Hallelujah. Let him do a new thing in you. God is calling somebody Amen. To do a new thing. Set a revival. Christ my king. Glory to God. I will shout and say, hey, hallelujah. Stand on the promises of God. We got to stand on the promises of God. Not our own promises. Not our subcultural promises. Let God rule and reign. Amen. Hallelujah. We of the realm of Agape Christian Church. Pray that the Holy Word of God has richly blessed your soul. To send prayer requests, use the contacts page of our website, www.roagape.org. We need your continued prayers and financial support to maintain this ministry. You can also find a secure means of donating on our website. God bless you.